How are you doing today? Let me just tell you, it is amazing to be here for a, a number of reasons, not only to be here with Pastor Kevin and Marie. How many love your pastors? Can we give it up for them? That's right. They are amazing to have pastors that lead with such passion, but also with such integrity as needed in the body of Christ. Amen. So we honor you. Thank you for the invitation to be here. Not only is it great to be here because to, to see Kevin and Pastor Kevin and Maria, I can tell you a little bit of some stories about Pastor Kevin. So see me in the back at the table. I've got some uh, secrets from the 90s and um, we can, I can fill you in on some of those. Um, but, you know, we just moved up after 24 years in the inner city of Detroit to Minneapolis, Minnesota. I don't know why. This last week, it was 88 degrees, and my daughter just sent me text messages today that we got like two inches of snow. And I'm like, what? And so it feels really good not to be in that right now. <laughs> um, let me just take for a second, too, and uh, I was able to bring my beautiful wife, who we are going to be selling a, celebrating 28 years just in a couple of months, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. So thankful for her. She's been such a trooper uh, to put up with me for so long and uh, to just do life and ministry in some um, places that not everyone is uh, signing up to go to. So um, how many know today that we are facing in society um, a crisis that I really consider being an unforgiving, um, th that we're facing this, this unbattle of forgiveness, an unforgiving society. I was, during worship, I couldn't help but think of a couple of passages. You know, there's in one place in the Bible, and just this kind of side note, but it just, I just felt so strongly in my heart that God is wanting to do something amazing, not only in this church, but in this region. And I believe that this church can become a place where God can begin doing a new thing and a new move in a new way. And part of that is going to be learning how to win the fight to forgive. You see it all over the news. You see that we now have um, in society, you watch the news, we have uh, students who at one time in their life had felt bullied or devalued are returning to their own schools that they attended years ago. And now they're inflicting harm and chaos and destruction and, and upon people who had nothing to do with their story or their life. You see it in the news how people are returning to their workplaces after being slighted or feeling overlooked or something. And now all of a sudden they're inflicting revenge in their workplace. We see it in society over. Uh, and, and let me just tell you, it's not just society, it's in the church. We're seeing how now even in the body of Christ that something that took place 5 and 10 and 15, 20, maybe even 30 and 40 years ago is now still having a grip in people's hearts and lives and controlling um, what God can and cannot do. I couldn't help but think um, of a couple of scriptures in the Bible how, did you know that there's only one place in scripture where the Bible says, if you're worshiping me, I want you to stop worshiping me. And that is if you are, while in the act of earth, it's found in Matthew chapter 5, that if you're worshiping, and while you're worshiping, you remember someone has something against you. Now, in other words, someone has something against you and they need to forgive you. It says you should stop worshiping. In other words, cut the lights, put down the cameras, stop singing worship, call a timeout, and you better go make things right with that person. God says more than having church, more than having church, it's about being the church. And when you think of Christ and you think of church, I hope you think of God's incredible forgiveness in your life. Amen? But it's not only that. There's another verse that's found in Matthew 18, verse 20. You probably heard it. It says, where two or three are gathered in my name, what does it say? They're all being the midst, right? Do you know that that verse is not talking about a low attendance Sunday or a low attendance prayer meeting or a cell group or whatever you're at? It doesn't mean if just two of us show up, well, there's God. That verse is, particular, is, is particularly speaking about when there's conflict between two people. 
And he says when two people, when there's one person who's the offender and there's another person who's been the offended, if those two people can get together and deal with the issues the right way, the God way, the biblical way, Jesus says this, I will show up and I'll be right in the center of it. Think about it. I want to take you on a little bit of a journey this morning and share not just my story because it's not about a story. It really is like Pastor Kevin said, it's my testimony. It really is his story and what God has been able to do in my life. And so I want to pray with you real quick because I believe that what is going to take place today and at the end of the service, there's going to be a chance. There's going to be a response time. And I want you to begin to be open to the Holy Spirit to possibly even bring up to your heart and to remember it's something that you've held on to. And maybe it doesn't control your life because in the way that you think of it every single minute of every day or every week. You might not ever think about it, but maybe once or twice a year. But there's something that still has a hold in your story that God says, I don't want you to live and I don't want you to run this race like that no longer. I want you to be free. I want you to be open to that. So let's pray. Father, I'm asking you right now, Holy Spirit, to move in this sanctuary, move in this place. I pray that you'd open our hearts and minds to hear what you're saying. And I pray that when it is all said and done, God, may it not, may people leave this place not talking about an incredible worship team, an incredible ministry, or incredible story. May they walk out of this place saying, what an incredible God. And so we dedicate this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen? How many here would just be honest for a second and would say this, that someone has hurt you or wronged you and they've never apologized for what they did? Let me see your hands. How many have said that they've, someone's hurt or wronged you and then they've never taken ownership or responsibility for what they did? One more question. How many here would say that someone has hurt you, wronged you, betrayed, and in whatever that they did, I don't, you don't even think they understood that what they did really cut to the core and really impacted you. If, if any of those three, that's you, can you raise your hand and lift it up? Listen, I'm with you. It's time. It's the third one I think that really gets me that so oftentimes people hurt and wrong us and they have no idea what they have done and the magnitude of their actions and how it's impacted us. There was, um, I've, for our story, we've shared it over the years in different places and there was a time that this, I won't go into names or I'll try to be really um, vague here, but a very famous actress and producer contacted us and said, we're doing a, a show and it's going to be on this station that is very popular and we want to do your story and the miracle of what God has done in your life. And when she, they called, I was like, wow, that sounds amazing. And it was amazing and it sounded cool and it was cool. And so they flew their production team out to Detroit. They not only inter interviewed Sarah and myself, they interviewed my doctor and my physician. They interviewed the police officers that were first on scene to the crime. And they talked from their point of view. And it was this really cool thing. And at the end of it, I was like, this is really neat. It is going to be a chance for literally hundreds of thousands of people to see this incredible story of what God has done in our lives. And then we prepared for it. We did this watch party. We had people over to our house. We all gathered around anticipation. We had friends all around the country. They gathered around and they were ready to watch. And they began seeing this program and they show the interviews with us. And it was really powerful. But there came a moment when all of a sudden they went from interview to reenactment. And in this moment, here's what took place. All of a sudden I realized that how I saw me um, and how I thought they would see me was not how they did see me. And let me explain to you. Let me put the first picture up here. When they did the production, I thought they would see me like this. There's a photo of me somewhere. I think there is. Otherwise the story is going nowhere really quick. I'm going to give it two more seconds and I'm going to bypass this whole story and I'm just going to tell you it. There! My goodness. 
I apologize entirely for my accusations of, I thought they would see me like that. Um, or that's how I see me. How I thought they would see me was like this. Go to the next one there. Those are gonna come up, right there. I thought they would see me more like that and the reenactment, you know. But then when here it is all around the country, all my friends, I've got a reputation in Detroit, you know, uh, I've got a man card and this is how they actually saw me. They saw me like this. Where's it gonna be like that? I'm sorry, but when I saw that, I, I think forgiving a man who stabbed me 37 times for about those 60 seconds, I had a problem because all around the country, my phone started blowing up with laughy faces and cry faces, emojis. And it's not that he's a bad looking guy. So if he's here, I'm sorry, you're great looking. Um, not saying, but how they portrayed me was this really soft kind of loofy, Oh, life's bad. And oh man, in Detroit, they were just having a field day with me. So I had to forgive this person. Um, and she, they didn't have any idea what they did, but you know, because oftentimes people offend us and hurt us and they don't even know it. But that moment, it took me back to um, facing that night where at three in the morning, I was awakened to the sound of breaking glass. Upon hearing it, I did, I just raced down the stairs as fast as I could. I picked up my weapon of choice, um, a tennis racket, and I began banging the walls. And as I ran down the stairs, I began yelling as loud as I could, this is my house, this is my house, get out, this is my house. And upon hitting the last two steps, a man had climbed through the window of my home. He was armed with a screwdriver and a large kitchen knife, the lar probably the largest one that you would find in a knife block. And as he had raced around the corner, was running towards my voice, me running towards him, he popped around the corner and all I could do at that moment was launch myself to try to tackle him. I swung the tennis racket, um, missed, wasn't a good tennis player. And as I landed upon grabbing hold of his shoulders, the first knife wound went right into my abdomen and ripped upwards. A fight began to ensue. Wasn't much of a fight for, you know, for the next 30, 60 seconds, all I could do was try to, to defend myself and try to block all of the knife blows coming at me, hitting me to the temple, going all the way through my cheek into my mouth, two times to the throat. And I just, I mean, it was awful. I remember this in that moment in my mind, I'm thinking, I can't believe this is happening to me. I can't believe this is happening to me. And we just fought. Eventually I fell on the ground completely hopeless and just helpless. I knew I was wounded. And you think at that moment, this man would just now, I'm down, would just begin to go through the house, go get whatever it was that he came for or wanted to take. But instead, he came over, jumped on top of me, straddled me, and just began as hard as he could, as fast as he can, just stabbing over and over and over and over again. I'm just trying to block everything. At one moment, the knife, came down, I was able to grab the entire blade. And as I did, the entire blade, about that fat and about that long, just broke off to now I'm holding the blade and he's only holding the handle. And for that split second, I remember thinking, okay, I can now fight back. And I began trying to get him off to him. I began trying to defend myself with the blade. Fortunately, the knife fell out of my hand severely wounded it because I wasn't holding a hand, I was actually holding the blade. And as he began scrambling for it, I quickly rolled over. And just as I was ready to stand up, the man had gotten the blade, jumped back on my back, wrapped his arm around me, and just again, 10 times more to the back of the head, seven times to my shoulder. And the worst were about the six or so stabs to the base of the neck and the spine area where I felt electrical shockwaves shoot through my body to the point I fell flat on the ground. And I remember feeling like, oh no, I'm paralyzed. I couldn't move. I literally was just laying there. And all I could do in that moment is I looked up. And in that moment I looked up, I saw my black lab Maggie, 70 pound black lab. You know, she was a ferocious barker and, um, you know, and, you know, I looked up and she was there and I remember thinking, 
why aren't you doing anything? I'm like, take one for the team, stick them, bark. I'm like, I feed you, I walk you, I let you lick me and blah, blah. You know, I'm like, do something. And I remember in that moment, I'm just like going, and I say, I had a black lab because after that um, night, um, we had to upgrade, and we upgraded to a German Shepherd. And um, I was like, that is not going to happen again. And then just as we had the German Shepherd, unfortunately, I downgraded to a diaper-wearing Yorkie. And um, there it is, buddy, right there. And um, let me tell you, we didn't, we didn't win in the dog stuff. But I mean, I'm just telling you, though, it was bad. And what made things worse is when man's best friend, the dog, is not there to help you. Let me just tell you, I've never felt so alone in my life. The man for the first time spoke. He said, where's the keys? Where's the money? I told him, I don't have any money. The keys are in the kitchen. He would walk over there, look for the keys, can't find them, would come back, stick me again, begin dragging me to the kitchen. Where's the keys? Where's the money? I began trying to tell him about my children, thinking maybe he has kids. Maybe he would just let me go. I said, just take whatever you want. I've got two amazing kids. Just go. Just take anything. And when he couldn't find the keys another time, he comes back, sticks me again, drags me to the kitchen where one last time he says, where's the keys? And at this moment, I'm ticked and angry. I looked up at him and I said, it doesn't matter anymore because I'm dead. And there I put my head on the ground, just began to wait. Began going in and out of consciousness. I prayed and just felt like God was nowhere around and prayed again specifically, give me a verse or angels or lights and just, I was just desperate. I just needed God to know that he wasn't surprised like I was at three in the morning. And um, just when there was nothing, all I could do then is start praying my, kind of my last prayers and start praying for Sarah. Before everything happened, she had left to go to Illinois and we kind of had a little bit of a disagreement. It wasn't a fight, but it was a, we just kind of, parted our ways kind of abruptly, shortly, just kind of said, hey, we'll talk to you later. I'm just remember thinking here how she's gonna now live the rest of her life not knowing what I should have told her that morning. That was how much I loved her. And, um, and then prayed for, you know, my daughter. I just didn't want nothing to happen to her. I knew that her dad, as her dad, I wouldn't be there to protect her anymore. And um, so God was gonna have to be her father. And then began praying for Noah, that Noah would uh, not blame God for what happened and that he would know living for Jesus is the greatest decision he could ever make in his life. And that's when I just heard words, they still need you. And then I realized that I need to do something. <laughs> they still need me. And it just changed. I went from just waiting to die to like, I got to figure out how to get out of here and I can't just this I can't just stay down I got to figure out so thankfully he actually dragged me here and I turned my head and looked this way and saw the side door and when I saw the side door it was then that I was I was able to stand up which was kind of crazy because before I couldn't move I felt like I was paralyzed stuck to the ground but I was able to stand my insides were out of me so I had to pick them up they were on the floor so I had to pick up my insides and um, so I was carrying them with my left hand. <laughs> I was able to get down and it's kind of crazy. I was able to get through all the locks. This thumb was almost cut, you know. It was just so badly hurt that I couldn't had movement. So I don't even know how I got those doors open, but I was able to get out that side door. And um, that's when I, for the first time again, I felt like there was a little hope. We say them with them, we say they still need you, say they still need you. I want you to know, Calvary, there are people here today that need you. And there are people in your life that have hurt you, they've wronged you, they've betrayed you, they've abandoned you, they've broken trust. I don't know what your story is, 
But I can tell you this, that no matter what it is and no matter what someone has done to you, there is a fight that is worth fighting for because people need you to win this battle, this fight to forgive. Today I want to give you three words because the number one question that I'm asked all the time is this, how can I forgive this man? How can I forgive this man who, he didn't just stab me 37 times, but how can I forgive this man who, who stole the innocence of my children? How can I forgive this man who um, basically created five years of sleepless nights? He's, created, he caused us to lose everything financially and we went bankrupt. We had to move five times and four times in five years. Created four feet of scars all over my body. How do I forgive this man? And today I want to share with you this journey that we've been on now for 13 years, fighting to forgive. And I want to share with you three words that are part of this fight that you're going to have to win. You're going to have to learn how to do these three things. And if you can learn these three things, I'm going to tell you, you are going to begin to win this fight of forgiveness. The first word I want to share with you is this. It's the word trust. It's the word trust. Um, the reality is this. When something bad happens to us, surprises us, we always tend to initially want to blame someone, don't we? For me, that blame really went and was directed first towards God. In my fight to live and survive that fight, I remember praying and I asked God one thing. I don't know what you would have asked what you would have asked God if you were in my shoes laying on the, your kitchen floor, bleeding out, convinced life was over. But in that moment, I had one request, I had one thought, and this is what it was. God, just let me know that you see me right now. Have you ever been there before? Just wanting God to just show, and I was specific. I was taught you pray specific prayers, and so I said, God, you know, let me, uh, give me a verse, because sometimes if you can just get a word from heaven in your greatest time of need, it will carry you through. And I said, God, just give me a, and, and then I said, God, you know, let me see angels. I'm not a big angel guy, but I just know angels are, are ministering spirits that are called to, they're there to serve and help the believer. And so, you know, I don't know if I was expecting to see some feathers or something flying around or something, but, but I was like, God, just let me see angels. Or I pray, God, let me see lights. And my wife was like, why would you ever pray, pray the light prayer? Don't pray that prayer. That means you're not here. But I was desperate. And I just wanted God to show me that he saw me. And in that moment, as I waited, God was silent. It was the darkest moment of my life, and I felt that God had abandoned me. And as I woke up in, those in that hospital room a week later, and I realized I, I lived, I'm alive, those words, they still need me, came back to me. And I realized that part of my forgiveness and part of winning this fight, overcoming this traumatic event, overcoming this fight that I was now beginning to fight, it wasn't a fight to live, but it was a fight that was going to, it was going to affect every other area of my life, my fight to forgive. I realized the starting point was going to be trusting. How do you trust God when he's allowed something that surprised you with something so traumatic, something that hurts you. How do you, because our, our questions are this, God, what's up? Or we go, God, you know, where were you? Where were you? God, if you're good, then why would you allow this to happen to me? Or sometimes we just, we start going deep in our theology and we say, God, if you're all powerful, why didn't you stop and intervene? God, if you're all knowing, how come you didn't let me know in advance? God, if you're everywhere, how come you couldn't have just made this whole thing turn out different? How, God, why? And I write in my book out there, you'll see it at the back of the table. It's just for donations. Uh, if you want a copy of the book, it tells more of the details. But I put God on trial. And I began to accuse God of abandoning me, of God breaking his promises that said he, you know, he'll never leave or forsake, that he'll be an ever-present help in time of need. Well, I was in need, God. Where were you? And God showed me some incredible things of 
when I felt he was the farthest from me, he was actually the closest. Matter of fact, probably one of the greatest miracles of the whole story was that the Detroit police showed up in 90 seconds. <laughs> in Detroit, that's a miracle. <laughs> but they talked and they asked questions of, you know, uh, the, the, so I, I began to see how God was in the right place. The doctor said, they began to tell me I was such a miracle and I was like, I don't feel like a miracle. But I was stabbed 37 times and they were saying if one of so many was just a little bit to the left or the right, a little bit deeper, I, I go blind, two to the throat that missed the juggler, one to the chest, my chest was a big bruise that didn't damage, it could have been paralyzed and they're like, it's like everything. The abdomen went upwards to the point that my intestines spilled out of me, I had to carry them. But yet nothing was cut, nothing was damaged to the point. And they were like, it's a miracle that you made this. And I'm like, and I realized how, you know, here I'm here saying, God, you are no around me. How many remember the old Karate Kid movie back in the day? Ralph Macchio type of guy, not the new one. But they had Miyagi-san waxing the fence, painting the fence and waxing the car. And all of a sudden I kind of got this image. Maybe there was some angels and they were painting the car and waxing the fence, making sure that every stab wound down missed the mark and could not take me out that night. And then all of a sudden they said, how did the knife break? How did the knife break? And I said, that wasn't God, that was the abs of steel, man. That's what broke that knife. Come on now. I'm like, I did sit-ups in 1995 when I was in, Ke was Kevin's one of his uh, leaders in his cell group, man. Haven't done sit-ups since, but I mean, uh, I was like, that's how that knife broke. But they're like, man, if that knife doesn't break, what would have happened? And then they, the big question was, how did you make it from your kitchen to your neighbor's porch? Because they said, when we found you, we couldn't identify what race you were. We didn't know if you were black or white. You were entirely wearing only a pair of shorts, but entirely red. And they said, we couldn't identify, but the problem was, we saw where you passed out on that kitchen floor. There was a huge pool of blood and it spilled over the first two steps that you exited. And we saw you had to stand up there because you used the walls to balance, we saw the handprints and the smear marks, but there's no footprints or blood drops from your kitchen to your neighbor's porch. There's nothing except one drop of blood, the policeman noted on the door handle. And they said, how did you get from here to there when you had to stand up, walk through it, and you were 100% covered? It makes no sense. And in that moment, I realized, here I am blaming God and accusing him of being so far away or uncaring or breaking his promises but when I felt he was the farthest from me, he was actually closer than I could have ever imagined. See, friends, usually when we blame God, we're blaming him for this. What we asked for, we did not get. And what happened in that moment, as I began to accuse God, because I didn't, he didn't give me what I asked for when I wanted it. I wanted a verse and angels and lights and how many know, I'm so thankful for God that he didn't answer my prayers. How many are thankful for God's unanswered prayers in your life? Listen, some of you need to go back to high school, look at the yearbook and Facebook and see who you used to date and you said, that's the one for me. And now you look at them today and you go, thank God. I, I mean, you're, you'll be thankful for unanswered prayers. Well, I was thankful God, he, he didn't answer that prayer. He gave me what I needed. And so I had to deal with this, this starting point is how do I begin to trust God? Let me give you two key words to trust in God. It's this, casting and placing. Casting and placing. Say casting, say placing. Two places in Scripture. I'm going to give you Old Testament, New Testament. Old Testament, Psalms 55, 22 says this, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be forsaken. But as for me, I trust in you. It's a great story. You can read the uh, Psalms 55 and what that's all about. But it, the verse says, cast your cares. It's also say in 1 Peter 5, 7, it says this, casting all your care upon him for what? He cares for you. See, cares, the word cares from a Greek, it's a Greek word which carries this idea of distraction. It's meant to divide the mind. It's to distract or to pull the mind in two different directions. Experts say that anxiety, it shows up in our lives in three different ways. It shows up with a racing heart, a tightening of the chest, and a spinning mind. 
And some of you today, you have anxiety. You have this spinning mind. You're going through all of this stuff. It's because of the cares of this world. And the Bible says when you have cares, you got to cast. But how many know if you're going to cast, you better trust first. So here's the thing, though, church. I think we're okay with this. I think most of us, we pray and we cast. So casting is praying. I think we do okay with that. We are quick to pray. But it's the second part of casting that I think we often forget because that word casting, it's only used in the New Testament one other time. It's, it's, it's in First Peter there, but the only other time it's used is found in Luke 19.35. And it's this, it's when we just celebrate, it's when Jesus, is the triumphal entry, and they brought it to Jesus, they, they sent the, Jesus sent the disciples to go into town to go ahead and get this donkey. And they bring this donkey to Jesus. And then when they brought it to him, it says this, they brought it to Jesus, and here's the word cast, they threw their cloaks on the colt and they put Jesus on it. So here's the only thing. So you have casting, which means to throw or to cast. In other words, how you throw your cares or cast your cares. You're going to do it through praying. But if you're going to fully trust God, you can't just pray. You're going to have to place Jesus over it. What I've learned is this. In my fight to forgive with so many unknown answers and questions, the guy was on the run for four months. Am I going to survive? Am I going to live? Is he going to be found guilty? He's denying that he even did this. I couldn't identify him in the picture lineup because the picture they gave me was so dated and I wasn't sure. And all these questions began coming up into me. And in that moment, all I could do was cast. I had to say, Jesus, you got to deal with that man. You have to deal with this situation. You got to deal with me and make me whole because I'm a mess. And I had to learn to cast, but I also had to learn to keep him over it. Because we all have triggers in life that makes us want to go back to an offense, go back to a person, go back to a date, go back to a place in time that, wa that wants us for this person, this purpose that we get triggered, and now all of a sudden the enemy wants us to re-pick up that offense, to pick up that thing again. So that we're now all the way back, the progress we thought we made, we're back to square one. But through trusting, if I was to say where's the starting point in forgiveness, I would say on this side, it is trusting God. It is trusting God. When you can trust God, you are, what you're doing is you're beginning to regain power in your story. And you are going to become unburdened by the things that are completely out of your control. They're out of your control. You can't change it. You can't do it. You can't make them a powder. You can't make them see it. You can't make them own up to it. It's out of your control. So what are your options? You can become bitter now or you can trust. How many know God is trustworthy? I love the words of C.S. Lewis. He says this, realize when you can't go back and change the beginning, you can start where you're at and change the ending. Today can become a new beginning for some of you by trusting alone. And when you trust today, what's going to happen is this, you're beginning to change the ending, even though you can't go back in time and change the beginning. The second word I want to give you is this, not just trust, but imitate imitate. When someone hurts and wrongs you, I'm going to talk, we're church here, so we're family. As a believer, what should we do? Oh, no one knows. It, it, okay. If I do something, or if Pastor Kevin, he walks by you, doesn't say hi, you're offended, and you're hurt, what should you do? You forgive him, right? Forgiveness. When someone hurts and wrongs you, Forgiveness is something we should do in the church really well, amen? But the problem is this, we don't do it well because we, we say we should forgive. We make forgiveness an option or a choice. And as Pastor Kevin, I think, said, or Maria, when they were talking about an offering, it's a response. Forgiveness is never a choice. Forgiveness should always be a response. And it's a response not to anything they can do, what they can own up for, to or, or, or what they can make right. Forgiveness is always a response to what? His forgiveness in your life. See, as long as you keep your eyes on those people or them, let me tell you, you are going to always be struggling to win your fight to forgive. But the moment you can now say there's a better way, 
and that is this, to forgive just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you, Ephesians 4.32. When we can forgive just as him, I'm going to tell you it changes everything. But here it is. It's not just a commandment, just, okay, you're supposed to forgive. If you go on Ephesians 4.32, you got to keep reading and go to Ephesians 5.1 because just as Jesus says, instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. In Ephesians 5.1, it says this, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. So we are to imitate God's forgiveness in our lives, and that's what our forgiveness to other people should look like. Even the people like I had to deal with who stabbed me 37 times and then denied it 37 times and didn't own up for it for a long time. You still only have a choice if you're a believer, and the choice isn't to forgive or not to forgive. The choice is, do I want to respond to God's incredible forgiveness in my life and extend that to another. But see, what's so great about forgiveness? Why is it so important to understand God's forgiveness in your life? It's because to the extent you're able to understand, experience, and here's a big thing, live in remembrance of that forgiveness. You will be empowered by the Holy Spirit to forgive others in that same way. That last part is crucial. Live in the remembrance. See, when we first get saved and we have that encounter with Jesus and experience him, man, we love God because he's made us clean. He's given us a fresh start. He's forgiven us of all of our past sins. But the longer you stay in church and do church and do all those things, you know what happens? We begin living a little bit further away from the cross. I love what Charles Spurgeon said, he says, if you want to know about being forgiven, go to the cross. We do that well. But if you want to learn about forgiving others, hang out there for a while. Friends, I think the crisis in our churches today is that we've stopped hanging out at the cross. When you can live in remembrance of God's incredible forgiveness in your life, how many know that, how many have been forgiven a lot by the Lord? How many have prayed this prayer, God forgive me and he's forgiven you? Okay, how many have done this? And then two days later, you prayed the same prayer, God forgive me again, I did it again, will you forgive me again? And what does he do? He forgives you. And then after a month, a whole month, you were so good. And then all of a sudden that bad day happens and boom, there you go again. You fall flat on your face and you're back on your knees saying, God, I promise you this time, I won't ever do it again. Please, please, please forgive me. Does he forgive you? See, God always, every time, fully forgives you. We're to imitate it. But here's the big thing. God not only fully forgives, God remembers no more and forgets our sins. Okay. Oh, yeah, we clap at that. Praise the Lord, Jesus, you forgive and forget. Okay? Be imitators of God. You are called to forgive and remember no more, friends. Oh, I didn't hear no clap on that one. I think I'm up in somebody's house. But here's a question. Is it possible to forgive and forget? Hmm. Here it is. Mentally, no. Listen, I just told you everything this man did to me. <laughs> I can remember, right? But biblically, to remember no more does not mean an absence of memory. To forgive, to remember no more, it means this. It means to no longer be impacted or affected by something. In other words, God forgives us, and when he forgives us, he does something so that what we've done no longer is impacts or affects the way he feels, thinks, looks at us, deals with us. He's a good God, you're his son and his daughter, and he loves you to death. <laughs> but how come you and I can't do that to the people who hurt us? Some of you right now in your marriage, 
forgiving and remembering right more, remembering no more is, that's a tough thing because the closer you are in proximity of relationship, the deeper the hurts are. It's easy to me to forgive a stranger who stabbed me 37 times than as a spouse who's betrayed you. But it doesn't change the fa- a fact that we're called to imitate. Jesus in the scriptures says he remembers our sins no more in ten, Hebrews 10, 17. Isaiah 43, 25 says that he, he alone will blot out our sins. Psalms 103, 12, he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. See, what God does is when he forgives us, he covers our sin. That's a whole nother message because you can choose what path you wanna go when you forgive. You could cover, you can confront, or you can overlook. That's a whole nother session. But let me just tell you, Jesus, I'm so thankful that he fully forgives. And then he doesn't put my sins on display for the world to see. He doesn't put me on probation. Three strikes and you're out, Kevin. You got to prove if you're really genuine this time. No, God fully forgives. We're to imitate. imitate. Let me give you the last one as I begin to close here. So we have trust. Everyone say trust. Imitate. The last one I'm going to tell you is this. You've got to run. (laughs) You've got to run. And when I say run, here's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking running from something. I'm talking about running towards someone. I'm talking not about running away from a person, running away from a situation, running away from an event. I'm talking about running and chasing after something. See, Philippians 3, 13, 14 says this. Paul says this. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider for myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straying towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me in heavenward Christ Jesus. He's talking about how Paul, the apostle Paul, the one thing he does every day in his life is he says he's forgetting what's behind and he's straining towards what's ahead and he's pressing on towards. He tells us the one thing I do and then he gives us three things. (laughs) Like every preacher. You said you're going to talk one point. You gave me three. (laughs) But here's what he's talking about. It really is one thing. It's a picture. It's a picture of a runner in a race. When he says forgetting what's behind, he's talking about your position. He's saying when you're forgetting what's behind, you're running in first place. And when you're running in first place, everything else is behind you. But you're not just running from your, your position as first place. You better be straining Towards. You might, in other words, you got to be running as fast as you can because when you run as fast as you can, you're leaning forwards, right? And so you're running as fast as you can. You're running from first place. But then he says you press on towards the, your pursuit, which is talking about your pursuit in the race. It means you have to be running and chasing after something. Listen, if you're here struggling to forgive today, my question is this, what are you pursuing? Because whatever you're pursuing It has to become greater than the person and the event in your past. If you're pursuing answers, if you're pursuing justice, if you're pursuing understanding, if you're pursuing amends, if you're pursuing all of these things for truth to be revealed, let me just tell you, you're going to be really disappointed when you get to the end of your race because you may or may not ever get that. And for most of the times, even the people that get the answers, they're usually not what you wanted or expected, and so now you're disappointed. And then what are you left with? stuck in bondage to your past. So here's what happens. You have to pursue after something greater. What is it? What is it that you're pursuing after? When I was sitting with our counselor, three or so, three and a half months later, we had to sit, Sarah and I, we went to a really top-notch counseling center in Ohio. They read up on our story. And they said this, they made us take 500 question tests to make sure you can't trick the test. And we each had to do it. And we were supposed to be for four days intensive counseling. And they were prepared for us because of the magnitude. It was all on the news media, all over the place, around the country. And when we sat there, the first session after all our results, you know, we're on pins and needles. The counselor puts down the notepad. He sits to the edge of his chair and he looks at us and he says, what did you and Sarah do over the last three and a half months? Because when we did all your test results, there was hardly any sign of any traumatic event that has even taken place in your life. 
what did you do? And in that moment, here's what I would say all over again. We trusted, we imitated, and we begin running after Jesus like never before. Like never before. Worship team can come. My goal in my life, my prayer for you is that you will, like me, one day be able to say what Genesis 50, 20 says, what Joseph said. When he looked at the brothers and the people responsible for wrongs and wounds, that you'd be able to look or picture them in your mind and say, what you intended for evil, God intended it for the good, for what is happening today, the saving of many lives. Friends, I don't share a story of a 37-tabbed home invasion. I'm sharing a testimony that is living today. It's the resurrection effect. You know what resurrection effect is? It's called crazy forgiveness. That because he died a cross, on the cross shed his blood for me, he was able to forgive me for everything, for my pornography use, for struggling with alcohol and uh, drugs and smoking and habits, my anger and temper, all of my whole life. I was the guy in youth group when they said, tell me one person you think would never give their heart to Jesus. People would say, Kevin Ramsby. (laughs) But man, he died for me. And he fully forgave me. And so what happens is this. God today is doing something. It's not a story of what happened 10 years ago. That's telling a story. I'm here giving a testimony because what God had meant for evil by that man 10 years ago, 13 years ago, you know what he's doing today? Well, today, for the first time ever here, we've never done this before, we're, we've put together, it's taken us 13 years to do it, a forgiveness online program that literally helps and equips you how to forgive. We've looked and I've read so much about how do you forgive and what is forgiveness and, you know, and, and here's it is. I couldn't find out and so we've realized that this forgiveness is not a linear process. It's not about a bunch of steps. Forgiveness is about strides. It's about covering distance in your steps and it's about being equipped with these principles. How do you trust? How do you forgive? How do you apologize? How do you uproot bitterness if you've allowed time to pass without forgiving and now you've got roots? How do you uproot? How do you run from the lead? How do you reframe your story? How do you invite the Holy Spirit into your crisis and that he was with you all the time. And we began to create this. And so you'll back there, you'll see this. It's a 185 page workbook, but it's an online course. And there's a book of our story. When you purchase that stuff, you know what you're doing? It's about what God's doing today. It's not just about your freedom, but with everything you purchased that back there, we're able to now make this available to over 300,000 inmates in the prison system around the country. Because there's inmates like my attacker who needs to forgive, not forgive me, but you know what? Forgive some people in his story that he was unable to do 10 and 15 and 25 years ago that really led him to some difficult times and choices that led him to that, led him to my house that day. God is continuing the story. You're part of the story today. But here it is, I wanna close with two questions, two questions. My counselor told me this, the key to overcoming a trauma event in your life, which includes being wronged and wounded by someone, especially if that someone was close to you, is this, it is required that you create an equal or greater experience to overcome and get unstuck from the power of the past. In other words, when you have an event in your past that has indelibly marked your life negatively. It's a traumatic event, abuse, divorce, abandonment. The story can, I mean, stories are endless. When you have these negative events, how you overcome it is this. The key is to create a greater experience. There's two experiences I wanna invite you to this morning. The first one is this. 
It's about knowing God's forgiveness. I'm gonna ask you for a second just to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm just gonna ask you to be still for just a moment. Some of you here, you've never experienced God's real forgiveness. I'm talking about full forgiveness, non-probationary forgiveness. I'm talking about a forgiveness that blots out your whole past. He wipes it out. He removes everything that is wrong, all the sins. He completely, he completely removes it so that when he looks at you, he looks at you as his son that he's proud of, his daughter that he is madly in love with. And he's not looking at these the wrecked places and the broken places in our story because you know what? He not only forgives, but then he takes those remnants and he begins to redeem them and make them beautiful again. If you're here today and you say this, I need that kind of forgiveness. I walk with shame. I walk away with this guilt because of things I've done in my past. I almost can't forgive myself. A lot of times the reason you can't forgive yourself is because you don't understand how God has already forgiven you. And today you say, I'm tired of this shame. I'm tired of this guilt. I need a fresh start. I want to be born again. I need to become a new creation. I want a new start in my life. I need God's real forgiveness, complete forgiveness. If that's you, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. One, two, three. Put it up real quick. Is that you? One. Lift it up real big. Wave it at me. I've got some bad eyes. Yep. Yep. Anyone else? Wave it up. Yep. Anyone else? Anyone else? Yep. Yep. Anyone else? Oh, wait a second. There's parts in your story that, man, you just need God to forgive you. Anyone else in this place? Yep, I see it. Anyone else? Yep. Anyone else? I'm going to ask all of us to just say this simple prayer with me right now. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me and accepting me. Thank you for dying on the cross, completely forgiving me, of all my sins. Thank you, Jesus, for taking my shame and my guilt away. Thank you for remembering my sins no more. I am your son, I'm your daughter, I am part of the family of God. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. Now I'm gonna ask you one last thing. I'm gonna ask you to do this. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet for this one. Because you need to have a greater experience. Some of you, that prayer right alone is going to be the experience that you need to help forgive somebody else. But here's the second greater experience. I'm going to tell you this. You've got to begin the fight to forgive. Forgiveness is not a one-time event. I'm going to tell you it's a fight, and it's a fight that will last a lifetime most likely. But if you're here today, close your eyes again, I'm gonna, and I'm gonna invite you to take a step forward because we talk about this, the key is this, it's running from the lead, it's chasing after someone, it's pursuing Jesus. It's being able to run from the lead where shame, guilt, anger, bitterness, all of those things are behind you and you're running so far from Je after Jesus that all of those things are just becoming distant memories and they're irrelevant in your life, why? Because Jesus is controlling everything. If you're here today, and the Holy Spirit has put on your heart, there's someone you need to forgive. I was praying before service, and there's some of you who have had wounds from your father, from your childhood, their father wounds, and you haven't been able to get free from that, the wounds, the rejection, or the mistreatment, or feeling abandoned, and it's just, it's just been there. And it's time for you to now release it Trust God again, imitate Jesus and begin running after him so that that father wound does not have to define who you are today. But there's some of you specifically, I felt the Holy Spirit say, there's father wounds in this place that need to be addressed. There's some of you in your marriage, there's events that have taken place in your past that really felt like betrayal, that cut like a knife, that deeply wounded you. And today is the day where you're gonna start running again. And instead of being stuck in the past, 
beginning to fight to forgive, this is the day your marriage is gonna begin to begin, not happen, begin to heal from the inside out. There's some of you who have been hurt in the church by leadership and you've carried it on and you've served, but you've served in the back of your mind just, I don't know, you're not all in and you're not running as fast as you can. You know why? Because you're, you don't trust people because of what one person did. Today, God wants you to trust him, help you to forgive so that you know what? You can now trust others too. If you're here today, on a count of three, if you say there's someone in my life I need to forgive, or you would say this, I'm not leading my race. I have fear and anger, bitterness, questions, doubt, shame. I have all of those things. If something else is leading your race other than forgiving like Jesus is forgiving, if that's you right now and there's someone you need to forgive, on a count of three, real big, put your hand up. One, two, three, put it up. There's someone, there's someone. Okay, here's what it is. Running requires movement. I'm not gonna ask you to sprint, but I wanna pray for you. If you're needing freedom from your past, you need an event to create an experience that's greater than your past, greater than the power of that person, I want you right now to just come and meet me up at this altar right now. I wanna pray for you. I'm gonna believe that right now God is going to begin this new work. Come on, don't be shy. Come on, run with it, run. Put a step, uh, oh, pep in your step knowing that this is gonna be different today. This is making movement. This is you chasing after. You're not running from, you're running towards. You're not running away from, you're running in pursuit of someone. Anyone else? Come on, you need freedom. If you're marriage, there's unforgiveness, there's conflict. Some of you, there's children you haven't talked to for years or every time they call, here they go again. They didn't pay you back, they broke a promise. Why are you gonna allow that to rob you? Come on, church. It's time for us to be the body of Christ. Anyone else? There's someone else. There's an event that's leading my race. There's a person that has control of my thoughts. I mean, I need freedom today. Anyone else? I'm waiting. They're still coming. They're still coming. Come on. I'm going to wait. Come on, just begin worshiping him right now all across the city. Would you just begin worshiping him? Get your eyes off the person now. Get off. Get off the battle to forgive. Right now, just begin to look to Jesus. Begin to fix your eyes on Jesus. Come on, lift your hands. If that makes you comfortable, lift your hands. Just begin to just worship him and just say, Jesus, I trust you right now. I trust you with my future. I trust you, God. I, I, I remember your faithfulness in my story. I remember how you brought me through every storm in the past, every trial in the past. God, I remember your faithfulness. You've always been there for me. When I thought you weren't, God, you've always brought me through. Jesus, you're faithful. Jesus, you're faithful. I trust you right now. I trust you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm gonna lead you in a simple prayer. Look at me, friends. Just look at me real quickly. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. This prayer is not a one and done thing. This is like this. I call it a fight to forgive for this reason. It's like the bell has rung. You're in a fight now. You know what's going to happen? You're going to go home and you're going to be, someone's going to call. You're going to remember. You're, all this stuff's going to happen. I'm going to tell you. And it's going to be really easy to pick up. But here's what you're going to do. You're making a decision right now. I'm going to fight to forgive. You're going to begin it. We have resources out. We want to make you available to you that will walk you through, coach you through, help you through, that equip you how to win this so you don't have to do it alone. We designed it for this reason. Pastor Kevin loves you all to death, but he can't pastoral counsel every single one of these issues. And none of us have the money to go see professional counselors, right? This has been designed to bridge the gap. There's literally eight hours of teaching. There's so many scriptures. There's stories. It's going to be amazing. I believe it will change your life. But it starts right here. You've got to just begin the fight. So would you pray this prayer with me? Say, Jesus, I am forgiven, so I will forgive. My ability to forgive and move forward is not based on anything someone can do for me or say something to me. My forgiveness is all based on how you've forgiven me. 
because I am forgiven, I choose today to forgive, not only in this moment, but in every moment in every day ahead. Today, I run after you. Today, I imitate you. Today, I trust you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Can we give Jesus a clap offering right now? Amen, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.